Brothers and sisters, we are getting uh, towards the end of the book of Acts. We're getting very close. And so my desire now is to start tying the beginning to the end so that you can see the book of Acts as one unified story. Does anybody recall the thesis of the book of Acts? You think about it, Acts 1.8, when Jesus says, but you will be my witnesses when you receive power. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so this book was written in many ways to encourage all of us to be witnesses for Jesus in the world. All of us are sent. One of our church values, one of our phrases is every member a missionary. Not just a minister, if you know that phrase, but a missionary as well. We want all of you to think of yourselves as a missionary, wherever God has placed you, in whatever season you're in. And I want all of us to think of our church as one great missionary team. Now, we didn't get on a plane and go anywhere exotic, but we have all landed right here, have we not? Now, what can we do together to be witnesses for Jesus in this time and space? And so sometimes I, I like to think of our worship service as, as this is like a halftime of a game. And uh, I've been charged with taking God's playbook and equipping you to go out there and gain a victory over the darkness in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So I brought a little help today. I brought my special hat because I'm a coach this morning. I don't know if you guys can see this hat. This is a retro Faith Covenant hat, vintage collection. There's only about five of these left in the world. I think this is from the church softball team, right? That 80s, 90s. So I'm a coach today. I'm a coach today because I am here to coach you up to get back out there and to be witnesses for Jesus. And so I'm assuming the vast majority of you, whether you're here or online, you're, you're listening to me, I assume you already love the Lord Jesus. You're already on the team and you desire to be equipped to better serve his kingdom. But if that's not you, well, you're in luck because you kind of get to hear get the, the locker room conversation. You get to hear the huddle at halftime of what we're attempting to do. And I'm going to take this hat off because it's a little bit ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> don't want you to have to look at that all sermon. But my, my goal this morning is to equip you to be witnesses for Jesus in your life and to send you back out. So would you open your Bibles with me this morning to Acts 26. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul. And this chapter is a master class on how to be a witness for Jesus. In fact, biblical scholar A.G. Fernando says that Luke, our author, likely included this as a way to help us understand the evangelistic process. And while we may not stand before kings or governors, we do have opportunities to witness for Jesus. So what are some things we can learn? The first is this. We tell others that it would be a privilege to share our faith with them. We tell others it would be a privilege to share our faith with them. Look at how Paul begins in verse 2. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today. Really, Paul? You consider yourself fortunate to be on trial for the gospel? 
In fact, N.T. Wright translate, translates this, I consider myself blessed. This is an, an immense opportunity. This is a privilege. Now, this is part of Paul's formal appeal in rhetoric to gain favor with King Agrippa. But isn't it true that any time we have an opportunity to share about Jesus with somebody, what an honor, what a privilege. I mean, seriously, think about that. After how much Jesus has done for you, that he went to the cross for you, he rose again and is exalted to the right hand of the Father so that you would be one with him and have eternal life. Is it not an honor? Is it not a great privilege of your life to get to share about your Lord with somebody else? So how do you begin? How do you even start with somebody? Well, you could start just like Paul did. Hey, could we get together sometime? Could we get together sometime for coffee or lunch? Because it would be an honor. It would be a privilege if I got to share about my faith with you. I mean, how could somebody say no to that? But Paul goes a step further. I consider myself fortunate, he says, especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. So what is Paul doing? He's kind of building up King Agrippa, right? He's kind of encouraging him. And so we might ask ourselves, how can we build somebody else up before we share Christ with them? You know, it would be a privilege to share my faith with you, especially because I consider you such a good friend. Or it would be an honor to share my faith with you, especially because I know you take a great interest in matters that are important. I mean, wouldn't that just build somebody up and prepare them to want to hear about Christ? The second thing we can do is we find common ground. We find common ground. In verses 4 through 11, Paul describes uh, his past before Christ. Now, on one level, Paul is making the argument that uh, as he is embracing Christ, he's not embracing a new religion. He's only following through on what the Old Testament scriptures have prophesied and promised the whole time. Everything he is teaching is in line with that. But on another level, Paul is also confessing his own prior ignorance to what is now the obvious truth. And it's a humble confession. And at the same time, it's a way of relating to his audience. Look what he says in verse 9. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. In other words, he says, I thought just like you did. I had the same level of, of ignorance to this truth as you did. And so how you talk about your own life is obviously that's going to vary based on who you are talking to. And it means that you're probably going to have to start by listening. Start by asking them about their story, their frame of reference, where they're coming from. And do you know what most everybody can relate to? Pain. Pain and brokenness. I actually thought about calling this point just admitting your own brokenness. Because Paul basically says, you know, I thought this way, I thought this way, my life was going this way, but I realized I was totally wrong. And my whole life's course was messed up before I became, before I became a follower of Christ. And we all have areas of pain or shame, guilt, loss, grief, stress. And while Jesus doesn't take all of our suffering away, he does give us hope. He does give us peace. He does give us himself. He does give eternal life forevermore. 
And so if we can find ways to communicate our own brokenness, our own, our own struggles, we will well be on our way to finding an open door to witness for Christ. The next thing we can do is we can share about our own journey with Jesus. In verses 12 through 18, Paul shares his conversion story. It's a dramatic story. Remember the bright light from heaven. He goes, becomes blind and Jesus speaks to him in an audible voice. And, you know, some people, by the grace of God, they have stories that might be similar to Paul. They, you know, those, those dramatic stories where they were, they were walking one way and God comes in and totally redeems and changes their life. Uh, but others have different stories that aren't so dramatic, right? My seminary professor, Scott McKnight, uh, he once wrote a book on conversion, uh, both a theological and sociological study on conversion in churches. And he says, you know, many people, they have stories like the Apostle Paul, but others, many others have stories that are more like the Apostle Peter. Friend, when was Peter the Apostle? When was he saved? Was it when Jesus came to him and said, follow me, and he decided to drop everything and follow him? Was he saved then? Was he saved many chapters later when he confesses, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God? When he finally realizes Jesus' identity. Was it then? Oh, but don't forget, he denies Jesus later three times. So was it afterwards, after the resurrection, when Jesus restores him and he says, you know that I love you, Lord. Was it at that moment that Peter was saved? Or was it at that moment when at Pentecost, when he was finally filled with the Holy Spirit and he gave the church's first sermon where 3,000 were added to their number and many were baptized? At what point was Peter saved? I guess we don't know, but we, I think we do know that his commitment to Christ was a journey, just like many of us, and it developed and grew over time, and only the Lord knows his story and his heart. And I think many of you can probably relate to Peter. Your commitment to Christ has been a journey. It still is. And so we trust the Holy Spirit to help us discern whatever part of our story will be helpful to whoever it is that we might be speaking with. The next thing, friends, that we can do is that we pursue obedience to this heavenly call. We pursue obedience to the heavenly call. In verse 19, Paul says, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. He's talking about Jesus coming to him. And so Paul, he sees his commission uh, to witness for Jesus as a matter of obedience to heaven. And now, of course, Paul's call is unique and unrepeatable. But friend, do we not have the same heavenly command from the same Lord Jesus Christ when he said to the church, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Do you know what those words are called? The Great Commission. The Great Commission, right? That the church has been commissioned for a great missionary task. You know, this is not the great suggestion. This is not the great idea that Jesus thought of. This is not the great, someday I'll get around to it. This is not the great, oh, the pastor's on it, he's got it. No, no, no. This is the great commission of the church. It's why we're here. It's our heavenly call. It's a commission to be obeyed. So are you seeking to obey? Do you have 
anyone with whom you hope to share the good news of Jesus Christ. It's our heavenly call. It's your heavenly call. Let's not just get around to it someday. Let's be about it now. Next thing we can do is we persuade others to turn to God. We persuade others to turn to God. Jump down with me to verses 27 through 29. Paul says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today would become as I am, except for these chains. Do you see what Paul is doing? Do you see what he's doing? Paul has been saying through this speech and in many other times that the prophets proclaim the hope of the resurrection. They prophesy and promise a Messiah who would come and bring in the Gentiles. And so Paul is saying, these are what the prophets say, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. See, he's trying to take King Agrippa from one thing he already believes to help him see the logical next step to Christ. And that's another great thing we can do too, to take somebody from where they are and help them see how Christ can be the fulfillment of that. And so Agrippa, he realizes what Paul's trying to do. You're trying to persuade me. You're trying to persuade me in such a short time? He realizes this. Now this word persuade, it means to convince someone to believe something and to act on the basis of what is recommended. And Paul says, I'm actually trying to persuade you and everybody who's listening to the speech. Yeah, he was not shy about persuading others to accept Jesus. In fact, A.J. Fernando again, he says this word persuade, it is used seven times in Acts to, describes, to describe Paul's evangelistic activity. Now, of course, we aren't trying to coerce people. Coercion is different than persuasion. We need to be loving, wise, and gentle. But we cannot shy away from the fact that we believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is factually true. We cannot shy away from the fact that we believe He is the hope of all the earth. He is the salvation of humankind. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And if we believe that, shouldn't we be about persuading others of this truth? You know, our world doesn't like persuasion. And some will try to persuade you that you shouldn't persuade others at all. Do you see the irony of that? You're trying to convince me that you shouldn't persuade anybody. Persuasion is wrong. Well, that's a self-defeating statement because you're trying to persuade me that what I'm trying to do is wrong. And so we're not trying to coerce, but we can be persuasive, open, honest, and loving. And friends, yes, I am trying to persuade you. <laughs> Did you realize that yet? Nate, are you trying to persuade me that I should persuade others about Jesus Christ? Yes! All of you who are listening to me right now and all of you listening to me at home, I am trying to persuade you that you should be persuading others about Jesus Christ. We are witnesses to his gospel, to his resurrection, to his kingdom, to his lordship. So let me be clear. Yes, I am trying to persuade you that it is necessary, it is good, it is morally right of you to persuade others of Jesus Christ. If you had the cure for cancer, 
would you not be about sharing it with other people? It's an urgent need to persuade others of the gospel. Another thing that might be helpful, friends, to you as you go about this task is to remember that you're not insane. <laughs> no, I think this point is kind of funny, like, okay, remember I'm not insane. All right, thank you. My pastor told me I'm not crazy. All right, feeling good. But the fact is, if you try to tell others about Jesus, if you try to describe heaven and eternal life and uh, judgment to come and the spiritual realm and darkness to light and, and all of these things, you might actually sound crazy to some people around you. And so Festus thought Paul was crazy, right? Verse 24, at this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. Paul replied, what I am saying is true and reasonable. The great revivalist Charles Finney, he said, if you have much of the Spirit of God, it is not unlikely that you will be thought deranged by many. Because there is a sense that all we do and all we believe is crazy to the world. And remember, they are in the spiritual darkness. Their minds are blind to the truth, but our eyes have been opened by the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, if you could travel back in time, let's say a thousand years, and you could start telling people, actually, do you know that it's the earth that orbits around the sun and not the sun that is orbiting around the earth? I mean, people would think you're out of your mind. That's not true, but you know the truth. It's the same with the gospel of Jesus. We know that he is the way. We know that he is the truth. We know that he is the life. And even if everyone around us thinks that this is crazy, it's not crazy. It's the most reasonable, sane, rational thing that we could believe. And so Paul can say to Agrippa, actually, he's seen these things. You've seen these things. You've seen the miracles. This has not escaped your notice. You've heard about Jesus. You've, seen, you've read the prophets. This is all reasonable and true. And so as we talk to others, we can present evidence Rational thinking, that why our faith does make sense, even if it seems crazy to the worldly way of thinking, even if people think the wisdom of God is foolish, there are still good reasons for believing what we believe, and we can help others with that. Friends, I also want to encourage you to be patient. To be patient. In verse 28, Agrippa says to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? He says, short time or long. Now, in some ways, Paul confesses here, he doesn't know how long it could be. I'm sure he's hoping that they would come to Christ right then. He's hoping it would be a short time, but it actually may be a long time. He confesses he does not know. And I know several of you, you have friends, you have dear family members who haven't accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And you've been praying and hoping for a long time. And I just want to encourage you to not give up, to not stop praying, to not stop looking for an opportunity to share your faith. We don't know why it is, but in God's providence, the thief on the cross, he was able to come to Christ at his very last breath. And so if you're still alive and breathing, God is not done with you. There is still an opportunity. There is still a chance. So let's be patient. Let's be faithful to do our part.
And finally, friends, we pray for people to come to Christ. We pray for people. We pray earnestly for people to come to Christ. Verse 29, Paul says, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am. I mean, we could spend a whole sermon, in fact, I have in the past, about beginning with prayer and with evangelism. And I haven't included this last because this is just a tag-on to the sermon. It happens to be last because I'm going through the text chronologically. Uh, But it's not a tag-on. This is essential to the whole thing. In fact, Lon Allison, Marie's late husband, he taught the Covenant Church for many years and many others to witness to others with what strategy? Prayer, care, share. Share, share, share. Some of you remember the cha-cha. That was great. But it starts with prayer. It starts with prayer. We pray for our friends, our family, coworkers, acquaintances, neighbors. We pray for them to come to Christ. And, and some of you, you're listening to this and you're like, I don't even, maybe I don't even know someone who doesn't know Jesus. I'm just that connected to the Christian community. Well, your prayer needs to be, Lord, give me someone. Lord, it would be a privilege. Lord, it would be the honor of my life to share about you with somebody. Oh, could we pray that? Lord, it would be the honor of my life to share about you with somebody, to share about you with my friend, to share about you with anybody. Lord, give me someone. Allow me the blessing of sharing you with somebody else. Oh, yes. Lord, hear that prayer. All right, team. All right. Let's huddle up. Huddle up. All right. Lean in a little bit. Maybe you want to lean in. Lean into your chair a little bit. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Okay, thank you. Thanks for playing along. Let's lean in, lean in, lean in. This is our halftime speech. Y'all ready to get out there? The darkness is winning. They're having way too much, too much victory over us. We need to get out there and share Jesus Christ with them. What are we going to do? We're going to tell others. It would be a privilege to share Jesus Christ with them. We're going to find common ground wherever we can find it. We're going to share about our own journey with Jesus. We are going to be obedient to this heavenly call. We are going to persuade others to turn to God when we get the opportunity. We're going to remember that we're not crazy and that we believe rational, insane things. And we are going to be patient over the long haul because it will be a long haul. And we will pray. We will pray for people to come to Christ. Team, are you with me? Amen. The need is urgent. People need Christ. They need the promise of the resurrection. So brothers and sisters, here's my one challenge. Find one person. Find one person this week, and I challenge you to not put this off. Reach out to one person, and you can even use the language I talked to you about today. It would be an honor. It would be a privilege if I could share my faith with you sometime. Could we go out to coffee? I challenge you to do that this week and to not put that off. Find one person with whom you can share Christ. And friends, may we do this all for his glory and so that we can fill heaven with Jesus' praises and celebrate with all the saints when we enter into glory. Amen?